You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sanders. We've got about two weeks left in this series, and uh, I want to begin by telling you a story from my own life today. Uh, when I finished up my freshman year of college at the University of Sioux Falls, I took a job here in town with a company called Vector Marketing, selling a product called Cutco Cutlery. Anybody ever had Cutco Cutlery, heard of it, um, bought some? Hopefully I didn't sell it to you. Uh, it's great stuff. I mean, it's some of the best knives in the world. Uh, but I can still remember, after I got hired at this company, uh, sitting down in, in the first team meeting, and the district manager comes in, and, and he starts passing around checks, copies of checks that had, had been written out to local college students in, in this area. And these they called comma checks. Uh, because they actually had commas in the amounts. I don't know if any of you have seen a check with that much money on it, but uh, these checks actually weren't for a month's worth of selling or for two weeks' worth of selling. The cool part is they were for one week of selling Cutco Cutlery, some checks, 1000 2000 3000 bucks. And as a college student, I said, I'm in. I want that kind of cash. I need that kind of cash. I'm broke, and so I'm going to go after this with all my heart, and I did. And um, I had some success that summer. I mean, I I sold a lot of blades and and had a good time doing it. But by the end of the summer, I was a Christian. I was was fairly new at taking my faith really seriously. And by the end of the summer, I was really wrestling with um, sort of my greed and and how how to go about this this sales world um, with a Christian mindset. And, And I noticed that towards the end of the summer, there wasn't too much I wouldn't do to make a sale. Some of you ever been in sales? You know what that feels like. Um, you, you can kind of push your, your moral boundaries a little bit. And one day that got me into big trouble. Um, I, was, I was in the office and we were making phone calls and we did this together as a team, me and my coworkers. And we'd just call our list of referrals and set up appointments for the next week. And so I had my little spiel and um, I was calling referrals of referrals of referrals. So no idea who these people were, um, no connection to them whatsoever other than that I knew somebody way in the line before them. And so this one lady I called and I said, hi, is so-and-so there? And she picks up and she says, yep, this is me. And uh, I say, hey, look, I got your number from a friend of yours. Uh, I'm selling a high-end line of kitchen products. And look, I get paid just for, just for showing it. So uh, would you mind if I stop by tomorrow around 6 o'clock or would 7.30 be better? And uh, usually people are like, well, you know, tell me a little more about the product. I'm not sure I want you over or whatever. And they go through, you know, there's a little bit of time of negotiation there. Well, this one was totally different. Uh, this lady goes little bit of a pause, and she goes, how about you get your butt over here right now? I've had a few glasses of wine, and I can guarantee you I'll buy whatever you got. I said, whew. Well, first of all, I just started laughing, because I'd never had this happen before ever. You know, I'm just like, I go, I kind of hold the phone, and I'm like to my coworkers, I'm like, you guys got to hear this. You know, I wish I could have put her on speakerphone, but I'm like, this is nuts, you know? And, And I'm like, this is probably a bad idea, but then I started going through my head about how much money I could make, and I would have made easily over 500 bucks in that hour. And for a college kid, that's a lot for an hour. Still a lot for me for an hour. That's still a lot for like a week. You know? So, so you know, it was a big, big wrestling moment, but in the end I said, you bet, I'll be over in a few minutes. And, uh, and so I headed over to her house, and needless to say, what this drunk lady was not wanting was cutlery. Um, and, and the more forward she became with me during my presentation, the more uncomfortable I got. 
Uh, fast forward through the story a little bit. By the end of my time at her house, I had uh, three unwelcomed kisses to the face. I was uh, in a big world of hurt. Uh, of course, I'm selling knives, and her husband was home. So I'm thinking, I'm going to end up with these knives in my back. This is going to be a bad deal, all because I was greedy and wanted to make a sale. Thankfully, the Lord got me out of there with nothing but a red face and some cash in my pocket. <laughs> but I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, you know, beyond that just being really stupid, the really sad part about that is that I failed to be a witness at my work. I let my greed get in the way of my call to be a witness at my work. I lowered my standards to get ahead when the opportunity presented itself. And what I want to talk to you about today is doing the opposite of what I did. I want to talk to you about how to be a good witness at your work. I was hoping in sharing that story today that uh, I wouldn't be alone in here. Having been the only person to made a, make a mistake in being a witness at work. Maybe you're like me and, and you face some sort of temptation. Now, my story is super weird, so I don't expect anybody to have a story like that. But maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's that you just kind of get tempted when everybody's in the break room and, and they're gossiping about your boss. And nobody likes to be the only person that doesn't say something negative. So you join in with them. Now, maybe for you, it's you just lie to make a sale. You know, you do anything. You'll lie, you'll, you'll deceive Tell them, tell them something that isn't true. Gouge them. You'll do anything. Compromise your Christian faith to make the sale. Or maybe for you, your deal is you're just cheating your boss, stealing from the company by wasting time on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. I don't know what the temptation is for you, but as we begin today, I want you to know that I understand two things. First of all, I understand that work is hard for many of you. Now, I love my job here. I love what I get to do every day. I come in and I really love my job. And my only coworker is saved. Pastor Bill, praise God, got saved like a week and a half ago. So we're in good shape here. And I love what I do. I just love everything about it. But I know that's not the scenario for you. Many of you, when, when I just say uh, the word Friday, you get feelings of bliss. And when, when, when I say the word Monday and the fact that it's coming tomorrow, uh, your skin begins to crawl. Because work is tough for you. I get that. There's a lot of things that can make our work tough. The environment can be tough. Uh, our bosses can be tough. There's, some of you have jobs with a ton of stress. Um, some of you, the weather is a huge factor in South Dakota. Um, for some of you, uh, your coworkers are a big source of your stress, whatever it is. Um, you know, there, there's a million things that can make this situation tough. I've talked to so many of you recently that it's just hard to make a decent living anymore in this economy. Some of you are not getting jobs in the places that you thought you would uh, land a job in. Uh, Some of you are having a really hard time landing a job that pays insurance benefits. This work thing, let's face it, is anything but easy. But the second thing I understand is that being a witness is hard, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest here today. Being a witness is hard. If you're like me, uh, you get knots in your stomach when you think about trying to be a witness at work. You start getting all tense inside because it just... Oh, man. I mean, we, we hate what, what that all involves. Sometimes it involves rejection. We don't like that. A lot of times it involves being unpopular at your workplace. And just because we're not in middle school anymore doesn't mean we all of a sudden like being unpopular. We don't like it, right? I don't like being unpopular. I don't like being on the outside of the crowd. Uh, we don't like the various labels that we get as a result of being a Christian. You get called Bible thumper, or Jesus freak, or goody two-shoes. 
Nobody likes that kind of stuff. And then when we do finally try to open our mouths and share our faith, a lot of times we don't like how it fumbles out and we just stumble all around and we're like, man, I just sounded like an idiot. I don't like any of that stuff. Being a witness is hard, but here's the deal, friends. If you're a Christian, we've already said this in this series, that when, if you're a Christian, when you go to work, you're not just going to work. You're not just making a buck. When you go to work, you're also on mission. Because to be a Christian is to be on mission. So that includes you and it includes your work. So now you have these two hard things together. You have the hardness of work, which is just hard all by itself, and the difficult task of being a witness all rolled into one. And here's the thing I want to say as we begin. I get that that's tough. It's tough having those two things apart, but it's very difficult having them together. But difficult as it is, this is what we're going to look at together today. All right, can we just say, all right, this is tough, but we've got to look at it together today. Not everything about Christianity is easy. I think most things are very difficult. And so together we're saying, all right, this is tough, but we're gritting our teeth and we're going to look at it together today. Um, I wanted to bring up Tony Larson here. Um, how many of you guys met Tony Larson? Uh, all right, he's been coming to our church for a couple months, and actually Tony and I have been talking about this very thing for the last couple of, of months. Um, we went out fishing together, and we talked about this very thing before I knew I was going to preach about it, and, and so it stuck in my mind. I said, Tony, I really want you to share. The, the, the tough thing is he's not able to be here today, and so I said, well, that does it. I'm going to have to impersonate you. And, uh, and those of you who have talked to Tony, you know, he's got kind of this, this manly, kind of gruff voice, and he's kind of a man's man, you know. And uh, so I just like, ah, oh, there's nobody like you, Tony. There's nobody with your voice. So, so I'm going to have to do it. But, um, but Tony, you know, he works as an underground tunneling specialist. He, he works doing underground tunneling for utilities companies. So he works with huge machinery. It's a really dangerous job. And you can imagine the kind of blue-collar fellows he works around. They're rough guys. Um, tough crew. And, and I was talking to him and I said, you know, Tony, can you tell me a little bit about your, your mindset, what you, what you feel like before you're going into work? And he goes, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can kind of hear, oh yeah, Dave. I mean, I wake up Monday morning and I tell my wife, Kathy, I say, well, getting deployed again today. <laughs> He's like, I feel like I'm going to war. And I was like, man, you know, I mean, and you do this every week. And he's like, yep. And he goes, Dave, actually, the other day I found out the guy's got a bounty on my head. I'm like, what is, what's that supposed to mean? You know, what, what does it mean they have a bounty on your head? And he goes, well, one of the guys said, hey, fellas, 100 bucks is the first guy that gets a picture of Tony in a strip joint. I was like, man, that's funny, but that's tough. That's tough to go into that work environment every single week where you got a target on your back where, where they're trying to bring you down. They want you to compromise your Christianity. They want you to compromise your morals. Tony's known on his job as the preacher. They don't say, hey, Tony, can you come here and get me that thing? Can you, can, you, can, you, can you bring me that thing? Can you help me with this? They say, hey, preacher, come on over here. Hey, preacher, get me this. And sometimes you'll say, Dave, they call me the preacher, so I just got to preach sometimes. <laughs> And I just love it. I mean, he just lets it rip. He doesn't, he doesn't bear, you know, spare any words. He goes right at him, and, and it makes me proud. And, and he, honestly, Tony bears that, that, uh, that name preacher with a great deal of pride. He's like, you bet. I want to be known as the guy that brings Jesus to my, to my workplace. That's a great privilege for him. And God has used Tony in some beautiful ways. And one of the things his wife Kathy told me, because Tony didn't want to toot his own horn, but she told me that uh, Tony, God used him one day to save a guy's life. 
Um, you know, like I said, it's a very dangerous job. Uh, digging underground, there's lots of gases that, that can kill you, you know, in seconds. And uh, he said this new guy was going down a manhole, and Tony goes, hey, hey, wait, wait, you don't got a monitor on. You can't go down there without a monitor on. And the guy's like, what? You know, and he's like, hey, listen, if there's enough methane gas down there, you'll be dead in seconds. Sure enough, the guy started going down there. The monitor went off. There was enough in there that he would have been dead by the time he got to the bottom. The guy comes up and he says, hey, where do you go to church again? <laughs> really cool, really cool talking to Tony about how to be a witness at work. And that's what we're talking about today. But what is this, what is this deal? What does it mean to be a witness? You know, we, we throw that term around. Uh, I want to be a witness for Christ. Well, I want you to very simply just think of a witness as, as like in a trial, someone who gives proof or evidence of something, okay? And so very simply in that way, you're giving evidence that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is Lord in your life giving evidence. And there's a million ways we could talk about doing this, okay? And, and words are necessary. We can talk about how to say things and whatever, but we're just basically going to begin scratching the surface of this big, big topic today. We just don't have all the time in the world to do this, but, but I wanted you to just move a slightly to where you're starting to see your job in this way. You're starting to see your occupation as a place of mission and ministry. If I can just move you two clicks towards that today, if the Holy Spirit can just take you there to where you're starting to see differently, then I believe God will be glorified and we'll get there we'll get somewhere so let's look at it today thankfully god's included in his word a gripping example of how we can uh, be a witness at work in a very tough environment and it comes right from the story that we've been in uh, the story of joseph so let's turn to genesis chapter 39 verses 1 through 20 Uh, specifically we're looking at the story of joseph in potiphar's house and this story is a page turner I mean, I don't have any concerns about you staying interested in this story because um, this is the original Desperate Housewives, okay? Yes, Desperate Housewives was not invented by Hollywood. It's actually biblical. But that doesn't mean you should watch it, all right? Uh, This is is exactly what's going on here um, in this passage. And I want to highlight three things uh, for what Joseph does here in this text, in this story, that can point us in the right direction of being a witness in our workplace. So let's read the text, and then we'll unpack these three things. This is Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 through 20. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, office of Pharaoh, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he, as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, 
When he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her house and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I want you to notice three things. First of all, Joseph worked hard. Joseph worked hard. Let's not skip over this because this is a difficult thing to do. This preaches a whole lot easier than it lives to work hard, especially in a, a difficult environment. Notice that Joseph did his work so well that Potiphar did not have a care in the world except for that which he ate. I think it's funny that the text tells us that, that, that you know, Potiphar's life was pretty good because Joseph was doing a knockout job. Uh, he's got to wake up in the morning thinking, is it going to be, you know, the ribeye and baked potato tonight or the chicken and rice? I mean, that, can you imagine that's all you're worried about? You know, that's all he has to think about because Joseph is taking care of the field. He's taking care of the finances. All the affairs of his house are covered because Joseph is working so hard. And consider the environment. Consider the environment. Joseph has just been sold by his brothers, betrayed. He's probably in some sort of a a situational uh, depression. I mean, who wouldn't be? You're you're, you're sold and betrayed by your brothers into slavery. Probably never going to see your family, your parents again. They have no idea what happened to you. So in the midst of his depression, this is how he's doing his work. In another culture, far away from home, far away from any comforts, his his life to him is probably over. He's like, it's game over for me. I'm a slave. I'm a slave. That's the end of the road. But this is how he worked. He did his work so well in this environment that it got noticed. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to work so hard that your work gets noticed. This is a great start to being a witness for Christ at your work is doing your work so hard that it gets noticed. Doing your work so well that it gets noticed that people come behind and they say, wow, you really do your work well, even in, this, even in this tough environment. And friends, here's the deal. Nothing destroys your Christian witness faster than doing a lousy, half-hearted job. I mean, seriously. I just cringe when I hear about Christians and, and their employer says, yeah, they just, they're so lazy. Oh, shouldn't be. I'm convinced that Christians have the most motivation of anybody to work hard and diligently at their jobs because we're working for the Lord, right? We're working for the Lord, not for men. That's what Colossians says. So we want to do our work well. You should be the best employee on your job as a Christian. Now, um, I remember a, a, a particular gentleman that came to this church many years ago and uh, he wasn't so convinced about this work ethic thing. And uh, he, he uh, thought it was kind of cool. He was, he was going to school, um, and he was working a job and stuff. And so he kind of said, kind of over-spiritualized it when we talked to him about this. And he said, you know, C's and D's are fine. God's cool with that because I got some other things to do. 
And when it came to his job, he said, you know, the Lord has freed me up to rest even at work. And we're like, that isn't the Lord that's freed you up to do that. The Lord wants you to work hard. The Lord wants you to give a good witness by the work that you do. Um, I remember hearing a pastor tell another story about this guy that was kind of in the head of the, uh, this, this really luxurious upscale hotel and restaurant. And he did the valet and he handled a whole bunch of different things. And um, he had worked there many, many years and had sort of built his reputation in the company as a Christian who just worked his tail off, did it always with a cheerful attitude, and he just handled everything. He was so trustworthy, and the people loved him. He always made sure the guests were well taken care of. And then another uh, young guy got hired who was also a Christian, and he kind of found out his, his manager above him was a Christian. So he said, you know, I'm going to read my Bible while I'm at work in between parking cars. And, you know, it was, he wasn't like he was doing a terrible job, but he would just miss things because he'd try to read his Bible in between parking cars. And this older guy pulled him aside and he said, look, I really love that you want to read your Bible at work, but here's the deal. You need to do it on your break. You need to do it on your break because here's the thing, man. Your work is your first witness. The way you work is your first witness. I believe that you'll get somewhere if you start taking that approach to your job. Our good buddy Martin Luther said something similar. He said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty, or you could say uh, gives his witness, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God loves good craftsmanship. God loves good craftsmanship. I feel like sometimes we're so busy trying to wear the right T-shirt or the right stupid bracelet or the right whatever it is that, that says somehow we're a Christian that we forget the best witness sometimes is just doing an awesome job and doing it with a glad and cheerful heart. Like that can be a powerful witness, not complaining and doing your work. How many people do you know that do that? Doing a great job and not complaining, just being cheerful about it. Do your work well, you'll be a witness for Christ. Second thing Joseph does here is kind of two-sided, so we'll, we'll kind of address both sides. But Joseph does the right thing regardless of what he stood to lose or gain. You know, Joseph could have gotten a promotion here with Potiphar's wife. Um, he could have gotten probably anything that he wanted if, if he chose to sleep with her and become her, what do you call the, I don't know what you call that. It's not a mistress, something else. But uh, he, he could have become that guy. Uh, that's sleeping with the boss's wife and get, gets this promotion. Um, or he knew this probably could have cost him if Potiphar finds out, his head's going to roll, you know? Uh, but regardless, Joseph says, look, I'm going to do the right thing. And he gives the reason in the text. He says, I'm not going to sin against God. He does the right thing, regardless of what he stands to gain or lose. So sometimes you and your job, you're, you're like I was. You know, you're weighing the pros and cons. What, what could go wrong about this? And what might go right for me about this? But Joseph's not doing any of that. He says, is this right by God? And he makes his decision, regardless of what he stands to gain or lose. I'll tell you something, friends. A guaranteed way to make sure none of your coworkers ever want to be a Christian is just to loudly declare that you're a Christian and live counter to that. You know what I mean? Just live a completely incongruent life. None of them will ever want to be a Christian. Matter of fact, most of the people that I talk to that hate Christianity, they have some sort of story about that in their, back, in their background. You know, they just, they just can't get it. How, that, how does that make sense? You know, um, I mean, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're telling dirty jokes to, to win new clients. They don't, they don't get that. Um, you say, sure, I follow Jesus, but everybody at your, at your company knows you'll run up your grandma's back to get to the top. 
You don't care who you got to go over or what you got to do, what, how you got to lie, how you got to cheat, how you got to slander someone else to get to the top. You know, you, you say, sure, me and my husband, we go to church, but you're flirting with every other guy in the office. They can't get that. It doesn't make sense to them. Um, remember the old quote, uh, most, for most of us it became famous when DC Talk brought it out, but the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who confess Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. They just can't swallow that. Now, this is where it gets really sticky, because here's the thing, friends. As Christians, we must admit up front that we're all hypocrites to some degree or another, right? We say, yes, I follow Jesus, and we don't. Jesus says, do this, and we don't. Jesus says, don't do that, and we do. So up front, Christians have to be people that admit, I'm a hypocrite. I'm, not, I'm never perfectly following Jesus 100%. My discipleship is always off a little bit. And so this is a way to be a witness at your work too. Part of your witness at work should involve owning your sin, owning your hypocrisy, being humble, and doing that in front of your coworkers. So you say, look, I'm sorry. That wasn't you. That was me. I'm sorry for blowing up at you. I was wrong. Listen, Praise God that Jesus forgives me for that. That goes against what I believe. I shouldn't do that. But I'm asking for you to forgive me too. What would that be like? I think that most people's experience with Christians is that they act like they're perfect and they're clearly not. Everyone can see it. So what if you just made it obvious? I'm not perfect when you're not. What if you just owned your stuff? What if you said, hey, look, fellas, I told that stupid joke to try to be cooler. And that was not cool. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and and that goes against what I believe. And so I'm sorry for not representing Christ to you. If you started doing that, you could be a witness even when you do it wrong. So here's, here's the heart behind it. We want to, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ, we want to do the right thing as often as we can. All right, I'm not saying go try to make mistakes so you can be a witness. I'm saying try to do the right thing like Joseph did, and when you screw up, you use the gospel on yourself and let them see you do it. Use the gospel on yourself because the gospel is not go fix yourself, be perfect, and, and try to convince everybody that you are. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you couldn't fix yourself. You couldn't be perfect enough, so God had to come down to earth Live here, die a brutal death in your place, rise again from the dead so that he could give you his perfect righteousness. That's the gospel. And so you can show them that by saying, look, I've received Jesus' forgiveness and I still screw up at times and this is one of those times. I'm really sorry. I didn't show you Christ. But I hope you forgive me. I'm confident Jesus will too. Your friends should not get, your your coworkers should not get the impression they're working with a perfect person. They should get the impression they're working with someone who understands their own sin and brokenness, but who has ultimate confidence that Jesus has rescued them. That's what they should know. So not only do you work hard, not only do you do the right thing, and then when you don't do the right thing, you own it and you're humble and you use the gospel on yourself. But lastly, Joseph here takes the heat for someone else's sin takes the heat for someone else's sin. Now, this is where we get to use our imagination in the text because the text just doesn't tell us a lot. Um, Maybe it's good that it doesn't. Probably a kind of weird, you know, situation here. But I wonder what happened with Potiphar and his wife. I wonder what really happened. And and the reason why I wonder is because Joseph was not executed, which would have been perfectly appropriate 
for a man of Potiphar's power with a slave who tries, supposedly, to rape his wife. That slave is going to die. You know, 10 times out of 10, if he really tried to rape his wife, he really would have bought it, that slave's going to die. But I think there's something else going on. And thanks to DreamWorks, uh, I watched the DreamWorks video over and over again because my kids love this story, Joseph, Prince of Dreams. DreamWorks actually brings it out that there's this awkward conversation between Potiphar and his wife, and, and Potiphar knows. And I was like, you know what? I knew it. I watched DreamWorks. I'm like, I knew it. I knew he knew. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, all the marital uh, work I've done, marital therapy, it's just like the spouse usually knows. I mean, this is not like a one-time slip-up for Potiphar's wife. She's asking him, the text says, day after day after day. Interesting woman. Really interesting woman. Strange woman. But this is an unhappy marriage at, at worst, or at best. This is just a very, very unhappy marriage for her to be doing this. And I think Potiphar had to know. My guess is this probably wouldn't have been the first time she tried to pull something like this. And so I think Potiphar was left with a tough decision. How do I save face? How do I cover this thing up? You know, what am I going to do here? I got, if, I, if I let Joseph keep working and word gets out that he tried to rape my wife, what's that going to look like? If I let Joseph keep working here and word gets out that my wife tried to seduce him, then what's that going to look like? I got to do something with him. I don't want to kill him because I know he's innocent. So I'm going to put him in prison. I think that's also how Joseph was able to get a decent recommendation to eventually work for the Pharaoh himself be second in command in all of Egypt. But because of this, because Potiphar had to save face, Joseph ends up taking the punishment for someone else's sin. And this is another way that we can be a witness at work. You might say, how in the world do you do that? Do you just, when someone else makes a mistake, do you just say, actually, I did that and lie? No, that would go against the second point. Okay, don't do that. Uh, This this more applies for those of you who are in upper management, uh, who have lots of employees under you. Um, and Pastor Timothy Keller tells a great story about this that I think makes sense here. Um, he tells a story about a woman who came to his church and said, and he said, hey, how'd you learn about Redeemer? How'd you come here? And she said, well, actually, my boss told me about it. And she said, I got, I got this job at this big company here in New York City, and um, I'd only been here a couple months, and I made a big mistake. It cost the company a bunch of money, and I knew I was getting my walk-in papers. So she started packing up her office, and the boss calls her in, and he says, hey, look, yeah, that wasn't the brightest thing to do, but I know you're not going to do it again, and listen, don't worry about your job. I'll, I'll take care of it. She goes out of there, and she's like, what in the world? How did he, how did he do this? And um, she does some investigating, and it turns out her boss took all the heat for her. Just went to bat for her and said, look, it's my fault. She's under me. Um, I should have known better. I, I'll, I'll make sure she's trained in better, and, and, and I'll make sure she knows uh, about this next time, and it won't happen again. Just don't let her go. She's a good employee. And she found out about that, and she came back to him. And she said, look, I got to know. Why did you do that for me? I've had tons of bosses who took the credit when I did something right, but I've never, ever once had a boss take the blame when I did something wrong. And he said, well, look, you know, it's no big deal. I had capital in the company. I've been here a long time, and you didn't have that. So it's, it's not a problem. No big deal. Don't, don't sweat it. And she's, she really pressed him. She said, no, no, no. What, what really, what's really behind your motivation for doing this? He said, well, since you're pressing me, it's because I'm a Christian. And Jesus took the heat for me. It's one simple way I can say thank you. She said, where do you go to church? He told her Redeemer, and she was in church that next Sunday. 
in a conversation with some business executives, CEOs, upper management. A guy named Richard Mao told them how to be a witness at work. He said, you got a lot of employees underneath you. If you want to be a good witness, here's one simple rule to follow. Take more pain than you give out. Always learn to take more pain than you give out. Those of you who are in upper management, you know. Work involves giving out some pain. You got to fire people. Uh, you got to sometimes discipline people, correct people. You got to cut people's pay, sometimes make them come in on Saturday. It involves giving out some pain. But he said, if you're always just giving it out, they're not going to see Christ. If you're willing to take some pain, they're going to see Christ in you. So sometimes um, you come in on a Saturday. Sometimes you volunteer to take a pay cut so your employees can keep their, their wage. Sometimes you come in and, and, and serve your employees. And sometimes, when it clearly wasn't your fault, you take the heat. And in doing so, you'll be like Jesus, who took the heat for you. He took the punishment that you deserved. That's how you be a witness at your work. So I don't know what it is for you today, but in light of Joseph, what do you think you need to do? Maybe for you, um, you're, you're just so far away from anything that resembles being on mission at your work. You just hate your job. And if your job really doesn't help people flourish, you might need to consider quitting and getting a different job. Uh, but, but for most of us, I think it's just going to take a lot of prayer and asking the Holy Spirit, will you help shift me? Will you help me see this the way I need to see it? Will you help me look at this different? Um, maybe for some of you, you're going to have to go in and, and repent and apologize to your, to your employer and say, look, I've been a bad employee and uh, I've been wasting time on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever. And I'm sorry. I'm a Christian. That's, I, I, that shouldn't be. I need to repent and I'm going to do better. Hopefully you don't lose your job. But you, need to do, you, know, you might need to do that. Um, you know, for some of you, you need to go to your coworkers and say, hey, look, I need to repent to you because I've been living a double life in front of you. You know I'm a Christian. Going to church on Sunday. But then I come here and I you know, live like hell all week. And I just act like I don't know Jesus when I'm here. That's, you, you, guys, you guys need to see Christ in me, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been such a terrible example of what it means to be a Christian. Maybe for you, it's just getting the courage from the Holy Spirit, just saying, Holy Spirit, will you give me the courage to take some heat for somebody? To step in there and say, look, you know, hey, um, I'll take the responsibility for that. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do better. Um, like I said, you're not lying or anything and saying, yeah, I did that when you didn't. But, but you're stepping in and you're saying, yeah. Um, don't let that person go. I'll take the responsibility on me. It won't happen again. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm convinced that um, God is leading us corporately as a church towards this place where we see our work as, as our primary places of ministry and mission. We see our jobs. We've, we've talked about this over and over. You spend a third, at least over a third, of your awake hours at work. So we need to start seeing them for how important they are. You know, I want, I want us praying on the way into work. Holy Spirit, will you give, give me an opportunity to talk to Susie and Larry and Joe about Jesus? Will you, will you just make that happen somehow? Give me a door for the message. I want us uh, looking for opportunities to live authentic Christian lives in front of non-Christians like Tony's doing. You know, where they're actually forming a competition and taking bets to see if they can get him to fall. I want us living authentically. People should know that we're Christians. 
on us looking for ways that we can serve those at our work. I pray that the Lord would give us grace to see our jobs as these, these places of ministry and mission that he has sent you to because he loves your coworkers so much. May God help us to be a good witness at work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Joseph that challenges us. Um, and Holy Spirit, today we ask for your, your presence and your grace Uh, to change. We need to change, Lord, and we need to do better at this. Um, I pray that uh, we would not stay in shame or guilt if if we've really messed this area up bad, but that we would run to you who forgives us and restores us and renews us and gives us another shot at it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, shift our minds, even if it's just two clicks today. Just move us towards seeing our jobs as places of ministry and mission. Move us to seeing our campuses as places of ministry and mission, to doing our work well, to doing the right thing and and owning it when we do the wrong thing. Lord, will you help us today? It's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.